Hello everybody and welcome to the Australian Seller Podcast. My name is Chris Thomas and I'll be your host and this is the show where we talk about all things Amazon and e-commerce, whether it be private label, wholesale, dropshipping and how you can generate a recurring income either on the side or as a full-time gig. G'day, g'day and welcome back to another episode of the Australian Seller Podcast. Now today, former bookkeeper and Australian mum Cindy joins us to chat through her experience of creating a super successful e-commerce business with an invention that she created in 2010. So as a young mum, she had a need for a product that no one was selling. So she rolled up her sleeves, jumped on a flight to Hong Kong, and in four days at a trade show found her future supplier. So she went all in on her idea. Her first shipment to Australia was actually a 20-foot container. And at that stage, Shark Tank producers were pretty keen to get her onto the show, so she was all set to give it a go. But just through a chance conversation with a friend, she discovered FBA, which is Fulfillment by Amazon. So actually, from there, it was bye-bye Shark Tank and hello Amazon. Uh, it's an awesome story, and I know you'll love hearing about her journey from her idea through to commercialization. Now, a lot of people have ideas, very few execute, so Cindy's one of those special few. Okay, just a couple of quick announcements. A big thanks to the all-star cast that came along and supported last week's meetup on how to expand your FBA business internationally. So a big thanks to Phil, Luke, Ash, Emma, and Ben. That's Team Retail Global to you. And of course, Remy and Nathan over at Payoneer, Rosalind Gladwin over at Gladwin Legal, and Simon Clarkson, who is from Channel Advisor. Now, I'm also planning a meetup in Melbourne in the next few weeks on the advantages of sourcing from India. And I'm going to try and squeeze uh, that meetup in before the International Sourcing Expo in Melbourne between the 12th and the 14th of November in 2019, just a few short weeks away. You can learn more about that event by heading over to uh, www.internationalsourcingexpo.com. And uh, of course, the India sourcing trip was such a success that Megla is already planning her next tour for April 2020, and she's offering an early bird discount, which takes $500 off. It's an amazing deal where everything is taken care of for you, and you'll find super high quality and unique products to sell on Amazon in niches which aren't saturated. So head over to theaustralianseller.com forward slash India to learn more about that, and I will be there with you in April 2020, so uh, not to be missed. Now, don't forget to join the Australian Seller family over on Facebook just by heading over to theaustralianseller.com forward slash Facebook, and let's get on to today's episode and conversation with Cindy. And welcome back to another episode of the Australian Seller Podcast. And today, I am delighted to welcome Cindy to the show. Uh, Cindy has an amazing story of e-commerce and also selling on Amazon. And she's developed her own products. Well, we met up at, at the meetup last week. That was the how to expand your business internationally on Amazon. And we had a quick chat. And it was a fascinating story about how you've commercialized your product idea. And I think you even knocked back a chance at appearing on the Shark Tank at some point. Is that tr- Is that right? I did, I did. So, look, I'm I'm an avid fan of Shark Tank. I love watching it. Um, I've always wondered how people can actually get on there and give away a, a percentage of their business. I mean, you know, we invest so much of ourselves. Um, but watching it more and more, I decided to try to get on there because I wanted to hit the US market and I figured that that was going to be the way to do it. Um, and it was then during the process of getting accepted onto the program that somebody spoke to me about uh, fulfillment by Amazon. And I mm. thought, you know what? I'm so close to being on Shark Tank, but 
I don't think I need them anymore. And it was a great, great moment to sort of sit there and think, do you know what? I don't need to give away any of my business. I can do this myself. And, um, yeah, we were off and running. Yeah, I think there's there's a double-edged sword with the Shark Tank, isn't there? I mean, first of all, you're exposing your idea to the world. That's number one, which means that it's very easy for people to copy. And there's been a few uh, stories that I've heard of where Shark Tank, I guess, winners have commercialized their product idea, thrown it up on Amazon, and even before they've even got on Amazon and, and started commercializing, there have been copies of their product already on Amazon and already up for sale across the internet, uh, you know, as certain countries are very adept at copying ideas very quickly, not mentioning any names. But, uh, yeah, so I think that's the first part. And then the other part, of course, is that you lose equity typically quite a lot. They, they drive a very hard bargain. So They do drive a very hard bargain. But I, I get that it's it's – I get the temptation. I understand the temptation, but uh, gee whiz, you know, with with FBA, it was yeah, no longer ever much an easier. option. Mm. So, how far away were you from actually, I guess, shipping your products across to America into FBA before you knocked back the Shark Tank thing? We were already selling. Did it sort of just take off, or yeah, you know, when did when did things actually happen there? Yeah. Okay. So I wasn't already selling, but. I just had faith in the product and I thought, you know, to, to send over 300 units to the US in one hand, giving it a go myself on Amazon as opposed to, yeah, giving away that equity, it was a no-brainer. It was like as soon as I heard of FBA, I, I just switched off from Shark Tank. It was just, you know, if, if, if Amazon didn't work out, maybe I would have kept going with Shark Tank, mm. you know, maybe I would have approached them again because they were certainly interested and uh, following up with me. But, yeah, I thought, do you know what, let's just give this a go first. Good on you. Talking broadly about the product, can you describe the process of how you actually came up with the idea in the first place? And I'm assuming from idea you probably went into prototyping and then, you know, eventually into commercialisation. So how did you come up with the idea? Yeah, look, it's funny how, um, you know, people who, who come up with a product, I think just about everybody in life comes across something that they think, gee, you know, I wish I had something that could do this or I wish I had something that could do that. And I think we all have ideas. It's just a case of, yeah, taking that step mm. to think, do you know what? I can't find it. I'm going to do it myself. And um it was really funny. Like my husband and I were just looking for a product for our kids who were seven and nine at the time and mm-hmm. I couldn't find it. If I'd have found what I was looking for, I would never have gone into business. Um, but I couldn't find it. I had a weekend away with some friends who also had children and I was talking to them about it. I said, I was really looking for this product. And uh, they said, well, do it yourself. Why don't you just Why do not? it yourself? Exactly. Now, coincidentally, that was actually 10 years ago this weekend. Um, wow. Really funny. It was a cup weekend getaway. And uh, the following January, I was already in Hong Kong at a trade show. I thought, yep, mm. can't find it. I'm going to do it. My girlfriends backed me. They thought it was a great idea. Um, so, yeah, I went along to a trade show and all I had with me was and I'm not a seamstress, but I made a little sample myself, took it mm-hmm. with me, and uh, just showed it to people. And that was it. And then you're able to find a manufacturer, I assume, in China side who could get some samples made up for you, sort of professional ones, I guess. And then uh, from there, you're able to start commercialising, yeah? 
Yeah, that's right. So I went along to Hong Kong and, um, look, it was massive. Those trade shows, they're so overwhelming and, <laughs> um, and really I, I'd never done anything like that before. I was lucky. I'd done a lot of traveling. So I was pretty confident, you know, chatting with people and, um, yeah, immersing myself mm. in that. So that was great. And my husband had actually given me really good advice. He said, when you're walking around the stands, he said, when you come across one that you like, take a photo of the stand number, take a photo of what they're selling and take a photo of the person, right? So as I went around the show, I just did that. I took photos. I didn't go in depth. I just took photos of the stands and the people that I liked. Went back um, to my hotel that night and I was able to, because I had all those photos, I could really clearly map through who I thought I wanted to talk to again the following day because this was a four-day mm. process. You know, there's, you know, the show's gone for a few days. Mm. So I narrowed it down and then I went back the following day and because I had my shortlist, I had no distractions. I didn't talk to anybody else. I thought, no, I've already seen you all. These are who I want to talk to. Um, so, so I just kept narrowing it down like that until I got to about mm. four suppliers and I really liked those four. And I left the show after four days with four suppliers who were going to keep in touch and send me a prototype. Okay. Mm. Once I got all those prototypes, I was able to sit down, have a look. And, and I thought, yep, firstly, the quality, of course, was, you know, the, mm. the biggest way to decide who to go with. But the other thing was their communication, which is why I went with the four because um, I really wanted to know how they communicated because you do, you hear horror stories of little things that you think they're going to put on there or, or do or whatever, but, yeah, that communication is everything. And, um, yeah, I hit gold. I've been lucky. I've, I've been with the same supplier ever since. I've been with them for 10 years and uh, haven't looked back. You also have a lot of um, variations as well of your product particularly around sort of colours and size, I suppose, would be fair to say. Did you just sort of start with one variation to start with and then start to expand out the range after perhaps the first one had been a success or did you yeah. just go all in all in on all the sizes and all the colours and all that stuff? Oh, that's so funny. Um, I can safely say I went all in just on two colours and five sizes and that felt like all in. My yeah. minimums were enormous and this was the – this was the hard thing. So during the whole process, you know, like going to Hong Kong and then perfecting the product, that alone took about eight months of going backwards and forwards Mm. with samples and decisions and trialling it out and changing fabrics and, oh, just just so much. But that, that was the easy time because, yeah, when you have to place that first order and suddenly you've got to put your money where your mouth is mm-hmm. and, and hope that this thing that you've fallen in love with, that other people are actually going to get it, understand it and want to buy it, um, that's enormous. And China didn't really know me and mm. I hadn't done it before, so my negotiations weren't all that brilliant. I was, I just knew that I had a good quality and a good communicating sort of supplier. Mm-hmm. So. I went with what they told me. I had to order per colour a thousand mm. units. So yeah. my first, yeah, yeah, my first shipment was nearly a full twenty foot container. Holy moly! <laughs> yep. okay. That you know, I was just putting out there to the world, hoping that they were going to buy it. So yeah, it was a really big deal, and 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 
very difficult. What I did have, this was interesting. I had a mm. friend of mine, um, Dennis, who, who did my website. What he did for me was with one of the samples, we did a Facebook campaign. Mm-hmm. So we put it out there to see what people thought of it and if they would go so far as to click on buy now. And the success of the campaign was really good. We had a lot of people that wanted it. So then we just responded saying, you know, due to overwhelming demand, we're sold out. Um, We'll put you on a wait list and give you 20% for our next shipment. Um, Even though we never had stock at all. (laughs) (laughs) And so that gave me a little bit of comfort knowing that, yeah, as soon as we put it out there, people were interested. Yeah, it's a great way to validate their product idea, right? So... Yeah, really yeah. smart. Would you would you do it the same way again, do you think? Would you head off to a trade show if you wanted to get samples made or find a manufacturer or would No, look I haven't. I think I found the trade show experience really good. I mean, I think the relationship with your supplier is really important if you you know, want an ongoing um, business with them. Mm. Um, going through something like Alibaba I I know a lot of people do it and I know a lot of people have had success and it's great. My concern is that they're really just copying other people's products and you're just going in there and hoping for the best on on what sort of quality you're going to get. I think going there, meeting them, shaking their hand, I think there's something about it. I really do. Yeah, I mean, I used a trade show experience as well when I was living in Hong Kong back in 2015, I think it was, to find a, a new... Actually, in my case, it was a designer and I actually did then ultimately find my supplier as well at the same show, but I was able to uh, innovate my product idea a lot more easily by being at a trade show and finding people that were actually making products that were very similar to what it was that I'd invented and wanted to commercialize. And um, yeah, and then from there was a, a quick step to, you know, I was sort of then introduced to a manufacturer who could actually make the product. So uh, through through that sort of design connection, so yeah, the trade shows rock. I love them. Um, I found yeah, some great products there, and, and just on that point too about Alibaba, I couldn't agree more. I think you know if you can find a product in Alibaba, then thousands of other Amazon sellers can find that product, the same product in Alibaba as well, and you That's don't right. have a particularly defensible position. So, and you yeah. know what? On, on that note, if um, if I can just say, I th- from my belief and understanding, um, when you purchase on Alibaba. When their minimums are really small and people get excited about it, I think that's when they're using, you know, um, mm. workshops basically because to run a successful business for them, they need to have big minimums to actually churn it through machinery. That's okay. Right. Mm. So when you find someone and they're giving you a great price and a really low quantity minimum, I think you've got to question what sort of standard they're actually running their business at. Couldn't agree with you more on that one. Now, you've shipped a container load of this of uh, your products to, I'm assuming, Australia at this point, yeah? Yeah, that's all right. right. And they've arrived. What was your plan at that stage? Were you looking to go into retail, physical retail, or were you looking to just stick to a web-only business or a combination of both? Like, what was your plan there to actually sell them? Yeah, no, I really wanted to just go through the web. Um, I looked at retail for a moment, a very small moment, and really the pricing that we would have had to have done to to satisfy another, you know, in-between person, it just would have cut out half my market. And Mm. really my product was aimed, I wanted it to be a medium sort of price. I didn't want to price it out of the water and, and, and limit 
limit the target mm. audience that I had. Um, so, yeah, going through a, through a retail store was never really an option. Their, their mm. minimums, you know, the, the prices that they want to make on it, and understandably because they're paying, you yeah. know, staff rent and all the rest of it, you just can't beat, you know, e-commerce. You can't, can you, for margins? I mean, normally the way retail pricing works from my experience has been a retailer is going to want 50%. You need to kind of work your way back from there. So if it's $100, the retailer is going to want to be able to purchase it for a a maximum of 50. Uh, And then if you've got a distributor in the middle, they're going to want 50%. So really you need to be selling at, say, $25 and still be making margin as a manufacturer to be able to support a product that would sell on Amazon, uh, sorry, in retail, physical retail anyway. Yeah. So going directs. Going direct is often a, a much better way, particularly around e-commerce and um, you know, and Amazon. So let's talk about Amazon because once you'd shipped, I think you said about three hundred units to Amazon. What actually happened? Like, did how did you get the products noticed, and how did you promote them at all? And when once you'd created the listings and had inventory in with FBA. Yeah, wow, okay. Um, so, yeah, my first order that I shipped across to Amazon, you're right, it was 320 units. Mm-hmm. I suppose it landed at a good time. It was around the September-October period, um, so that was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really know much about the whole promoting on, on, on Amazon in mm. the US. So I'd have to say that I just had a great product that people talked about. I had great reviews pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite a niche market and uh, it just flowed. I, I sold out those 320 units within a few months and I had nothing to sell over the Christmas period. <laughs> um, so that really hurt, you know, like I got this great momentum happening and then – Nothing. I had nothing left to sell. Um, my turnaround from China is four months, mm-hmm. so it then took me a long time to get stock back and um, get it all started again. So then I overstocked oh. um, and I got hit with, oh, I kid you not, it was about $5,000 US in um, long-term storage fees. Yeah. Um, that can happen. So then mm. that hurt. Yep. So then it's sort of like, yeah, like everybody, you're juggling sort of like you don't want to run out but you don't want to overstock mm. and, you know, it gets really, really tricky. So, yeah, so to solve that, I now have a third-party warehouse in, in, in the US mm. as well. So I ship to them, they ship to Amazon and keep filtering it in. Yeah, it's a good idea. When, when, when did you actually um, set up on Amazon? Like what, what year was this at this point? 2016. So when you actually got the products in for the second time, did, were you at this point now not shipping from Australia? We were actually now going direct from China, so you'd sort of stopped the intermediary stop of, of Australia. Was that, was that how it worked? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And that um, it's really good because it helps me now with my minimum quantities, which are still astronomical Mm. but i can split the shipments between australia and us so that's been really good and i'm also a um a seasonal product Mm -hmm. so it's great having the us offset my australian sales let's talk about that split so you've got website sales that are happening here in australia and then obviously you've got amazon yeah well interesting because it is a seasonal product um so say right now it would be 80 percent amazon in the us Mm. And then coming into, yeah, May, June, um, then we're going to be looking at 80% Australia. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, 
So it's very seasonable, which um, which brings me to the point that I'm now looking to, because I'm a well-known brand now, yeah. I'm going to look at actually expanding the range and hopefully becoming a, a more all-year-round product. Um, so I'll have more product, but also I'm hoping that it'll just increase the average spend. So if they're already purchasing something from me, I'm hoping I can just do the upsell or do, do a bundle mm. and, um, yeah, just, just make that one transaction, bumping that. Yeah. There's three levers that you can pull when you're in e-commerce, I think. The first one is more traffic, so more eyeballs. Yep. The second one is improved conversion rate. So, you know, if 100 people visit and you go from a 5% conversion rate to a 10% conversion rate, you can double your sales that way. And then really the only lever, the other lever that you can pull is um, average order value, which is what you're talking about. So that's a, a really good strategy yeah, as part of the whole sort of e-commerce mix that you're in. You Obviously, you came along to the event where I was sort of talking with Pioneer and Rosalind was there as well. We were talking about expanding into other international marketplaces through Amazon. Well, let me just ask, first of all, do you, do you sell on Amazon Australia? So I do have a presence on Amazon in Australia, but it's not my focus. Um, so if you... If you compared my Australia store to my US store, it just doesn't doesn't compare. I've only got a couple of products on mm. there, uh, not all not all the range, and um, I haven't even set up the, the the store properly in Australia. Whereas you know the US is just looking whiz bang. Mm. Um, yeah, I really wanted to just direct sales to the website at the yeah. moment in Australia. Yeah. But definitely keen to to head into the EU mm. somehow. I'm not sure how as yet, which is, you know, a big reason why why I came along to your information evening, which was just fabulous. And actually, on that point, uh, one thing that Rosalind um, said during that 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 evening was about trademarking. Mm. Um, I know most of us are aware we need trademarks. But one thing she did say, which struck a chord, and I'm going to get onto that ASAP, is to actually trademark in China, even if you're not going to sell in China. And uh, that was really interesting to think that if you have a bad relationship with your supplier, that they can actually stop you getting your your stock out of the country if you're not trademarked. That's that's Um, what I've done. I've done that. Yeah. Yeah. That was massive. Mm. I that had never even crossed my mind. So, so I'm on to that. Good, good. <laughs> I, I will get that trademark. But um, yeah, that was a great evening, and um, yeah, cheers. I'll definitely yeah be heading over to to the EU. Fantastic. Oh, I'm so excited for you. Look, stay in touch. I'm really happy to help if I can. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely welcome. Um, we'll take we'll take this off air. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, just tell me, because you work from home, right, and have done so for quite a long time. What's it, What's your experience been like? Oh, working from home—that's mm. uh, that can be really lonely, and it can be very hard. Uh, I think the hardest thing is actually being accountable. I mean, nobody knows what you do all day. Um, so, look, I, I, I when I find that I'm losing my momentum, mm-hmm. and I, you know, start losing motivation. I look up any free events that are going on in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether it's a meetup group, an Amazon breakfast, um, just you know, learning workshops, which could be about anything, uh, I sign up and I go. Um, doesn't matter what event it is. I think you always learn something. There's always something to pick up, 
And um, but most importantly, I get home and I'm just refueled. I'm ready to go. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I go to a lot of events. Mm. Um, my favourite one, um, which I think I mentioned to you, was Fifty Two Ways. That's right. Yeah. Um, that's a great day. Yeah, I'm going to uh, I'm going to tick along to that one. I think in November there's a free workshop day or something. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna wander along on your recommendation just to uh, suss it out. So yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah, great. Thank you. But that's for workshops. But as for staying accountable, mm. which as I say is the hardest thing, I actually have two girlfriends in business, and we now do fortnightly Zoom meetings. Mm-hmm. So every two weeks we jump online and we start our meeting with what our biggest win is. For the, for, for the last two weeks. And I think that's really important because, you know, when you run your own business, particularly an Amazon business or an e-commerce store, you can't brag. No one gets it. You can't go, oh, my God, I had this much amount in sales. Or, mm. you know, you're not allowed to brag. But I think it's really important to actually be able to have someone that can give you a pat on the back and go, do you know what? Well done, you. So that's what we do between the three of us. We start our meetings every week with our win Mm. and that can be most times it's a business win but it can be personal win too just it's just something positive you know Mm. and then we talk about what we want to get done over the next two weeks so what are our five goals what are our five to do's Mm -hmm. and um and then we end it with who needs help what can we do and um and i found that because i'm vocalizing to two other people what i'm going to get done it, it makes me that little bit more accountable, which, yeah, that's sensational. I love that. So do I. Well, it sounds like, you know, you're actually setting goals for, you know, the five things that you want to get done in the next two weeks. And, yeah, you've got to get those things done. Otherwise, you're going to get told off, right? Well, that's exactly <laughs> it. But if I don't tell anybody and I just sit at home on my own and go, gee, you know, I should do this, mm. I, I don't. I just don't get it done. Yeah. Um, so that accountability when you work on on your own mm. is massive. Yeah, that's that's really good. Um, do you source outsource any stuff like I don't know bookkeeping or boring things, or are you pretty much doing, <laughs> juggling juggling octopuses or as I heard. Oh, you're so funny. I I can't give up my bookkeeping because I am a bookkeeper. Mm. So that is my background. So that's um, that's really funny. It's the one thing that I should hand out. Um, but I'm a bit of a control freak, so I still do my own bookkeeping. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do have a VA that uh, handles all my social media. Right. And then what about Amazon stuff like Amazon customer service, if there is any, and, it, you know, is that, that's, is that part of the mix for her, for your, for your VA or? Um, or Not you at the moment. Well? Yeah, I'm handling that myself mm. at the moment. I'd like to slowly hand off more. So I've only been using a VA for about five months. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I'll probably look at expanding and and mm. you know delegating more and more now that I now that I know that process trust that process and I'm comfortable with that process mm. um yeah I'll probably look at handballing a whole lot more and and actually concentrating on the stuff that um will bring in the money that's a good idea <laughs> yeah well it's yeah. so funny because I used to do this one thing and uh, you'll laugh at me mm. maybe <laughs> but when I first when I first started back in 2016 starting on Amazon um I used to pin all my sales on Google Earth so I had this really good visual 
where my customers were. Now, I know Amazon does reports and all the rest of it, Mm -hmm. but I loved this map. I loved looking at this map and going, oh, okay, well, they're going there. And and I can tell you exactly what towns in what states are my biggest sellers because I did this. Mm. Um, However, I might have taken it a bit far and I've done that for three years. Okay, (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, until I started looking at – I've got a lady that now does my pick packing as well, mm-hmm. and I'm also delegating more work to her. And I thought, oh, I should just get her to pin the sales. And it wasn't until I sat there and realized, oh my gosh, the amount of time that that actually takes. Mm. I used to love doing it, but no way in hell am I paying someone else 30 bucks an hour to do that, <laughs> you yeah. know? And, um, and I stopped doing it. Okay. I thought, right, I've got all the information I need. I really don't need to do this anymore. But it's interesting when you look at outsourcing stuff and you look at the time that it takes and you look at the money that it will cost you to do it that you sort of think, you know what, do I really need to do that? Is there a better way of doing this? Can I automate this? Can I systemize that? And, yeah, it's funny when you actually start looking because we don't value our time enough, I don't don't. think. Yeah, I agree. We Mm. just... Yeah, I think it's really important to sit back and go, do you know what, if if the business is churning this amount of money, you know, like I won't put a figure on it, but if, if, you, if you're making this much money, there's a calculation to say, this is what my time's worth. And if my time is worth that, mm. why the hell am I doing this? This has got to be outsourced. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. And it's funny, you said it before, really, I think, about the map process that you had and all of a sudden you're going, well, hang on, I'm paying somebody $30 an hour and I'm thinking about outsourcing this. Do I actually really need to do this anymore in the business? Like, do I really need to pay somebody $30 an hour to take over this task? And if it's not 100% necessary, then the answer is probably no, right? So, um, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Just quickly on Australia, obviously you're doing website sales. Do you keep all the inventory at home in a garage or is it in a warehouse or how do do you fulfill your website orders here? Um, So I actually, I have warehouse space that I rent from another company. Um, So that's worked out really well. As I uh, mentioned earlier, I'm a bookkeeper from my my previous life and um, I was still doing bookkeeping once every four weeks or something for, for a fellow who... I rent where space mm-hmm. from um, warehouse space from. So yeah, it's a great relationship because he came with a, a warehouse um, mm. and a forklift, and uh, he's winding down. So as I'm winding up, we kind of like keep changing the the space, mm. and, uh, and I'm taking over more and more as he uh, yeah as he winds yeah, down more and more. Yeah, so I've um, I've been really lucky in that regard. And, look, I think we make our own luck. I'm not going to say it's all been luck. I've worked very hard. But in, in most areas, you know, like this whole thing, I have to say, is a culmination of of everything I've, I've done. Do you know, like the bookkeeping experience um, that I had, firstly, you know, going into business, having that background gave me an advantage because I know the difference between profit and Mm. loss and cash flow. And I think that's where a lot of people fall down, Mm. cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. Um, So I, as a bookkeeper, went in and I already knew a lot about that. And then I had, you know, this contact that I could share a warehouse with, which which was amazing. Um, 
the trip to Hong Kong, I'd done a lot of travel. So as I said, I was in my comfort zone over there as well. So really the whole thing, it's, it's just been this culmination of, of my entire life that has Led yeah, up to this it, point. It enabled um, me to, to, to do this, exactly. Even even being a parent is what helped me find my product. That's right. Um, so, yeah, there you awesome. go. Speaking of everything leading up to now, do you have a plan to exit the business or are you really, really comfortable just continuing on and and growing it? That's a really good question. Do you know what? As a bookkeeper, um, I worked for a lot of small companies, small businesses from their homes, Mm -hmm. and two out of three of them had businesses that they could have passed on to their kids and their kids just weren't interested. So, you know, like, building this I could say you know like no 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 I want to build this I want to grow this and one day my kids can have it I actually know better you can hand it to them and they still wouldn't want it um which is a good thing Mm. I mean they've got to find their own way um so yeah I think the goal is always if you're going to start a business you should have the end goal that you're going to sell Mm. it and that just makes you put processes in place that make it sellable from the very start Mm. So systemizing, having it all, um, you know, mapped out so that when you're ready to sell it, you can say to somebody, follow this and you're good to go. Yeah. Here's a st- you know, standard operating procedure, an SOP, uh, for all these different, exactly. different parts of the way that the business is run and that's a really good thing to do. And, you know, if you're doing something more than once in your business, it's a really good idea maybe just to do a Camtasia video of how you're doing it or creating some kind of written documentation with a, a process to follow. So, yeah. That's funny you should say it. That's actually my mouse pad. It actually says, will I ever have to do this again? Mm. If yes, make a system. I don't have a mouse pad anymore. <laughs> I just, don't maybe you? I need to stamp my desk or something with, <laughs> with slogans. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe. That's really clever. But, um, yeah, there's a lot to be said for, for as you say, um, being able to take a screen grab and record our screens, mm. um, once you're in the habit of it, it's just so easy. Mm. Actually, I've just come up with a product idea. Desk decals, we'll call them. Kind of self-adhesive oh, stickers. We can sell those on Amazon and make a fortune. Anybody wants to take that idea, you're welcome to it. Well, Chris, I've got to say, after meeting you the other night, I know that you have a thing about stickers. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that there. Um <laughs> So um, is there anything that I probably should have asked you about but haven't that you you think might add some value to to our listeners? Um, Yeah, so you asked about Amazon horror stories. Yes, yes, I did. Um, Do you have any? So not a horror story as such, but I would like to say that one of my biggest frustrations um, with Amazon is their handling of returns and disposals. Mm -hmm. And um, what I've done, and I just wanted to share it, and I think Amazon have actually started a a program recently where they do donations. Mm -hmm. But um, what I've found is a lot of these returns where Amazon say that they can't sell it, it's no longer saleable, um, they're actually 100% perfect product. There's nothing wrong with them. Yep. So what I've done is I've contacted numerous schools around the US and I donate my product to schools. Um, They love getting it uh, for nothing, obviously, but also it it, it just gets my product out there with a positive spin. Mm. 
like you're that's right you're supporting the local community and the local schools and word of mouth starts to filter out and then that can actually feed back on itself i'm assuming through amazon sales that's mm. exactly it. So, firstly, they're not going to waste. Mm. Secondly, Amazon's not selling yep. them um, behind your back. Well, they don't even do it behind <laughs> your back. Um, they do it in front of you like they do it in the buy box, you know, precisely. or certainly as part of one of the offers from Amazon warehouse deals or whatever. Exactly. So, I would much rather donate it. Yeah. Well, it's funny you should bring it up because one of the businesses that I bought earlier this year with my brother and another business partner, we, um, we get a lot of, well, we don't get a lot of returns, but the returns that we do get, we actually had them have them removed to Heather Jackson over at Oregon uh, Buy Prep and Ship, and I think that's what it is. And uh, sorry, sorry, Heather, if you're listening. And uh, and so she actually inspects them all. But just to your point, um, when Amazon says that an item is unfillable, unfulfillable, or it's damaged or whatever, Heather actually says that most of the products that are coming back, like in your case, are actually not even opened, like totally ready to yeah. go back into inventory. And so she just uh, preps them back up and ships them back in as um, as used. And so, yeah, it, uh, we just get a second bite at the cherry from our returns rather than, like you said, Amazon taking that inventory. They told you they destroyed it, but they don't. They actually put it back on Amazon through one of their sort of sub-brands, their second-hand brands, and uh, start selling on yeah. your listing. Yes, interesting. They're very hard to compete with. <laughs> Nearly impossible. Um, yeah. yeah, that's true. Uh, all right, listen, we're, we're at 30 minutes or so. I better wrap this up, but uh, thank you very, very, very much for coming on the show and sharing your experience with me and, and anybody that happens to be listening. And um, I was just wondering, how can we get in touch with you? Maybe the best way is through through the Facebook group, through the Australian Seller. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm always checking in there. So you'll find me in there just under Cindy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, reach out. I'm always happy to chat because uh, yeah, sometimes it's just the little things that you can pick up on. And um, I certainly have a long way to go myself, a lot of learning to do. Same. So yeah, anybody in Melbourne, happy. I'm up for a coffee. Awesome. Okay. This is episode number 78 of the Australian Seller Podcast. So if you head over to the AustralianSeller.com forward slash 078, uh, you'll be able to get all the show notes to today's episode. And if you want to reach out to Cindy, uh, just head over to the AustralianSeller.com forward slash Facebook and join our group, uh, the Australian Seller family. We're almost up to 900 members now. And Cindy's an active member in there helping people that are new or established who are wanting to or indeed already are selling on Amazon. She's a wonderful community member. And thanks so much again for coming on the show today. Thanks for the opportunity, Chris. I love what you do. Thank you very much. Links and show notes for this episode can be found over at theaustralianseller.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher or your favorite podcast platform. Sign up to my email over at theaustralianseller.com and I'll send you a note each time I publish a new podcast episode. Thanks so much again for listening.